Today on Never Was a Gamer, it's baby's first ocarina. Hi, and welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time discovering everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is our cryptic owl who tells me what to do while withholding key information, oh, Dimitri. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, more accurate than I'd like to admit. I really feel like I nailed this one. <laughs> like that, yeah, we got you. Um, thank you for joining us. If you haven't listened before, the premise of the show is basically that... I missed a lot of great games growing up, and now Dimitri and I are revisiting them to fill in the gaps and talk about how they feel to us today. Um, if you want to hear us talk more about that, you can check out episode zero where we deep dive into our histories. But today we are regrouping to talk about my playthrough of The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Yeah, Michelle's first full playthrough of any Legend of Zelda game. Yeah, more, I'm more or less. More or less. F first full. Yeah, first full playthrough. And that I guess that was something that uh, struck me as you were playing, that you played A Link to the Past or a bit of it, mm -hmm. about half of it a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But you had a lot of memories that kind of lingered. Yeah, I was actually surprised how much of this felt kind of vaguely familiar, even as it was like very different. Like there would sometimes be enemies that I recognized, like, wasn't this a boss in Link to the Past? Or I'd sort of know like, oh, I must like, when am I getting the boomerang? I think that was like a question. Yeah, and then you, you kind of didn't because it's hidden in this one. Oh my God, it, it took fun. so long to get the boomerang. And you knew you were getting a hookshot and yeah. I tried to throw you off from the hookshot. Yeah, <laughs> at one point you were like... Hmm, I don't know if there's a hookshot in this one. And I was like, no, no. Like, I've already <laughs> seen too many places where I obviously need the hookshot. Like, it's coming. Yes, yeah, so there was this strange familiarity, even though this was your first full your first full playthrough of a, of a Zelda, which was um, which is which was neat. But but to get to to get to uh, Link's Awakening specifically, let's just start with your your overall thoughts, your first impressions um, of the game. So you turn it on, you see this. Um, cutscene it looks really nice on the switch beautiful but you it's did so nice just as a reminder michelle did play the opening uh, up through the first dungeon on the uh game boy color of the game boy color version yeah so this first little arc i i saw it in both of the in both of the versions we can talk about the the comparisons a bit later but you watch this opening cutscene um you're shipwrecked washed ashore and you're discovered by someone who Link thinks is Zelda. <laughs> and who I think I thought was Zelda. It, I yeah. think it was the Japanese puppet ad that we talked about oh, yeah. last episode. And I was like, I think, I, I assume that's Zelda. And you sort of like laughed at me like, ha ha. <laughs> I was like, okay, so that's going to be a thing, huh? And yeah. So, and like, yeah, I think Link also, like when he wakes mm -hmm. up in this little cottage, just like you do in Link to the Past, he sort of looks at this woman. And I think the game implies that he's... He's like, you're not Zelda. Yeah. Weird. It does really echo the beginning of Link to the Past yeah. where you wake up in, in your cottage. Yeah. And somebody wakes you up. But yeah, it's just slightly different. Yeah. I, I mean, like the slightly different thing, I think, is the major theme of like the <laughs> opening section. Uh, one of my favorite things that is sort of set up in this is like the game sort of thrusts a bunch of the common Zelda symbols into your hand immediately. Like you have this familiar waking up thing. Immediately they give you your shield, which 
they say like your name's written in the inside of it, which is just yeah. like it's like your mom wrote your name on the inside <laughs> of your like backpack when you went to kindergarten. Yeah, and that, that was a great moment because because he he says it, and then you it's like you thought you caught the game with a writing inconsistency. You're yeah, like, how does he know my name? And yeah, they explain it. Yeah, they're like, oh, you're mom wrote it um so yeah it gives you your shield and then they say oh i think i saw this piece of junk sword washed up on the beach that might be yours and so then you have to like go down to the beach with your little shield to go collect your sword which the game just treats like trash that's on the beach it just like chucks your sword and shield at you immediately which is so funny to me you just like have them right away Although well, I did, I mean, yeah, yeah, let's just <laughs> more say more or less right away. You, this might have been your greatest moment of challenge I, in the in the whole thing, trying to get your trying to get your sword on the beach, figuring out how to not get killed by those <laughs> the spiked oh the urchin thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the answer was your shield, but like I, it took me probably ten to fifteen seconds to realize you had to push these urchins by holding your shield out in front of you. I you your your uncharitable interpretation is that I almost got myself killed. I was trying to use iframes to get oh, across sure. the Okay. Anyway, so you get you get your sword and like I don't know, something about the way that's all just thrown at you. It sort of signified to me like right out like we're not going to be too precious about the Zelda like iconography in this. Right, and there really is none. There's, no, totally. There's a Zelda, who turns out to not be Zelda, right? Yeah. That's, that's kind of disrupted right away. Yeah, you get Marin instead. Yeah. There's no Ganon or Ganondorf. Neither. So you, I still you, have no idea. <laughs> no idea. Not No questions answered in that respect. Yeah, there's no Triforce. Right, there's no Triforce. And there is weirdly this, like, at every corner, there's weird Super Mario or Nintendo <laughs> characters for some reason. Yeah, there's characters from other games, which is not yeah. your game that you're <laughs> yeah. from. Not the one that you thought this was. <laughs> so I don't know. I sort of like that tone of like, okay, this is going to be a little off. Did, like, you, did you know at the beginning then that you're, you probably weren't going to go through some quest to get your Master Sword? No. I mean, I, I had no guess about what that meant. Okay. Because, yeah, I guess that is the Master Sword, right? Because you're like coming from... The end of Link to the Past. Although, also, that is not clear from the in-game it's, animation. That's why you got to read the manual, man. Oh, the manual. <laughs> Every time it's the manual. <laughs> but yeah, the, the the subversion of when you think of the Master Sword, you think of that kind of iconic image of it in the stone. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, the yeah. light coming through the trees, and it yeah. looks so... In the misty forest with yeah. the clearing that... Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's kind of such an enticing image and here it's just stuck in the sand. Yeah, it's just, you just pick it up. And they're like, oh yeah, I guess that's yours. Okay, so you that's your opening and uh, you felt you felt excited after that opening? I felt excited. It was really fun to have your like core set up and mm. running really fast. Like mm -hmm. almost immediately I've got my sword, I've got my shield. I'm like I'm Link again. Mm. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Like I and I guess that makes sense coming off Link to the Past, right? Because you theoretically you're still You always get your sword and shield pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I guess that's true in Link to the Past as well. But like if you're com okay, this is one of my questions. If you're coming off Link to the Past, why am I back down to three hearts? <laughs> why do I have this but not my other stuff? It's because you're not in the real world. You're in the oh, dream world. Oh yeah. The so windfish. <laughs> right. Right. Um so we'll yeah. It was it was a enticing opening with a lot of like just a, a sense that something's gonna be a little funny about this <laughs> one. Before we get into your the moment to moment of your playthrough. I'm just curious about your thoughts now that you've played a Zelda 
And as I mentioned before, the reason I wanted to do this one is because I really think this is where the it establishes the formula that becomes the Zelda formula moving forward, mm-hmm. um, at least in pretty much up until Breath of the Wild. I think this does a better job of that even than Link to the Past. And so what was your general thoughts on the overall, right, the overall kind of loop, the overall formula? So you have kind of your overworld, overworld puzzle leads you to a dungeon. Inside the dungeon, you get an item use that item to navigate the dungeon and to beat the boss and then kind of rinse and repeat. It took me a couple dungeons, but I did eventually figure out that there's like a pretty clean association that like at the midway point through a dungeon, you're going to get the tool that will let you complete that dungeon. And every time you're going to need that thing. So there's sort of a, I mean, generously, you could call it like clarity of design, but Mm -hmm. also it's sort of a uncomplicatedness Mm -hmm. of that, that I think potentially in a different, less smart game could have become tedious, right? Because there are a couple of times when I got into a dungeon and I was like, when I was in the hookshot dungeon, I knew I was in the hookshot dungeon (laughs) right away. It was like, oh, this is the one where we get the hookshot. But I think really what, for me, what saved this game from becoming like a little boring or a little predictable in that loop is like the quality and density of the overworld map. Like, I don't know that I've ever played... I want to say that I've played other games that have this sort of like you're going and then you get to a dungeon, but the efficiency and economy of this overworld map is staggering. Like there's incredibly good, incredibly distinct navigation puzzles in in packed into every inch of the overworld. And so you're doing such different things every time you're trying to find your way to a new dungeon that I don't know, it it never felt samey. Yeah, it's almost it's kind of almost a disappointment that you didn't play the Game Boy version originally, because when you do and you have that screen scroll and you kind of experience the the map as these discrete screens, I think you really feel how much is jam packed into kind of every square mm-hmm. of the grid mm-hmm. that because they had a smaller grid, they really needed to just pack it full of stuff so that the world felt much bigger than the map. I mean, one of the things that I definitely noticed is like, man, this play this world does feel huge. And I remember you telling us in the setup episode that that's a thing that people re- were really impressed by. And I was, even knowing that, I was still extremely impressed by it. Um, and one of the most telling like examples of that for me is that it really sort of sends you through a lot of like mazy navigation and you're going in all directions at all times. Um, but once you are later in the game, when you, you know, you have your jump, you have your scoot boots, which is not what they're called, but your, I don't care. Your Pegasus boots. Your scoot boots. Your scoot boots. Um, you have all these, you have your hookshot, you have all these different traversal options. And so you can sort of take shortcuts through the map and, and navigate much more directly to where you're going. I was always surprised by how close together things on opposite sides of the map mm-hmm. actually are. Like once you have your full suite of navigation stuff up, you can get really quickly around and you're like, oh, this is small, but it does not feel that way when you're opening all those spaces Mm -hmm. up and having to navigate outwards through things for the first time. So to me, that's just really good design. You know what I mean? Like I, as, as you're uncovering new places, this, the world just feels bigger and bigger and there's stuff tucked in everywhere. Um, So one of the, one of the concerns, um, and people started to criticize later Zelda's uh, by the fact that they are, and and this one I think in particular is kind of pretty tightly gated, mm-hmm. is that it it really is quite linear that you are moving from one dungeon to the next, and you really can't choose how you approach them. But did it feel that way to you, or did it still feel like you had um, that you had the ability to kind of explore on your own? 
I mean, I would say this kind of reminds me of our Super Metroid conversation mm. where, sure, it is a little bit linear, actually, but the game does such a good job of routing you through all these weird paths and giving you these really weird systems of hints. And like, I mean, in one case, you have to complete like the trading side quest to oh, yeah. be able to progress. And like that takes you all over the world. It is not signposted. Mm-hmm. You just have items that you have to figure out who to give them to. And like, you could easily not figure out that that's the next thing you have to do. Like that it, was watching you. That was, I think one of the most interesting parts is when you started the trading sequence. Um, Cause you had to get, you had to start by getting the Yoshi doll from the crane game, or that was one right. of the first ones. Right. And, and I think that's the, the person who wants that is in the town you start like Mabe or Mabe village or whatever. Yeah. Just a kid who's asking you, but there's nothing telling you that you have to do this now to progress when no. you have to do that. And so I, it was so fun kind of just watch, watching you because you were just, I think in your mind thought, oh, this must be only a side quest. Yeah. It can't be mainline. I can do <laughs> yeah. it later. And you were walking around wondering what to do. Yeah, and it took you a minute to realize that, oh, this thing that the game isn't explicitly telling me to do, but is available for me to do is, mm-hmm. is the thing that I probably should do. It's like I just ran out of other things. Yeah. And I was like, uh, I guess I'll go play that crane game. Again. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, is this actually the thing that I... Which that also is a Super Metroid thing, right? Remember, like, I remember the feeling of feeling like you found a secret and mm-hmm. then realizing, like, no, this is what I had mm-hmm. to do. Being like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> I thought I was smart. Yeah. And the other thing this game does, again, like Super Metroid, I think it gives you a sense that it is more vast than it is by teasing you with what's to come. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's kind of this world of potential. And so even at the... When you go into the mysterious woods for the first time, so really early on in the game, on your way there, you see holes that you can't get across. And mm-hmm. I think in your mind, you're, I think you even said, I bet I'm going to jump. Yeah. Which yeah. wouldn't have been standard at all for Zelda's. Hmm. And then you you find these those rocks that are too heavy to lift. And so mm-hmm. you probably know that you'll find some way to deal with those later. I think the game even when you, I think I tried to lift them because you can like mm-hmm. hit A at them. And the game says like, hmm, these seem pretty heavy. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. well, and in the, we'll see. I'll be back for you. <laughs> in the Game Boy version, anytime you knock up against them for the entirety of the game, it says, oh, these seem too heavy. Oh, my until God. You <laughs> the thing. Well, that's like the little upgrades, like yeah. the acorns and stuff. It gives you the full explanation of what they do, right? Until yeah, the, the very <laughs> it's like okay i i got it thank you so the other thing i was i was wondering too so that's kind of the general loop but if you play a bunch of zeldas your your mind kind of gets wired for zeldas there's a bunch of puzzles that appear and reappear across the series hmm. um, and it kind of has its own language in terms of overworld design dungeon design and so i was wondering if this game if you felt this game did a good job of teaching you kind of the language of zelda because um, it was really fun watching you encounter certain puzzles, like, for example, light the torches to open the door or um, kill all the enemies in a room to make a key fall or push the blocks into a certain pattern. And these are just kind of stock puzzles that if you've played a bunch of Zeldas, okay. you just know that that's probably what you're going to have to do. So okay. they almost take up no mental energy. It's just like a thing you do. But watching, I was wondering, is it actually clear that this is what you're supposed to do <laughs> in this game? Because I don't remember where I learned those things. Man, the blocks got me. Like, <laughs> so... Any room that was like, kill the bad guys in the room and then it'll open, like that I got. I think I did pretty well with the the light the torches ones. I think partially because the, the first time you encounter that puzzle, the only thing you have apart from your sword and shield is like the magic powder that lights mm-hmm. torches. So 
you can like process of elimination your way to that solution pretty quickly. Like you just. Okay. So it does make sure to kind of tutorialize you in that way. Yeah, it does a bit. I will say the block puzzles, that was less intuitive for me. And it took one or two before I sort of mentally added it to my subconscious list Mm. of like, okay, we get into a new room. If it's not immediately obvious how to get out of here, I'm going to try to kill the guys. I'm going to try to hit any switches if there are any switches. Mm. I'm going to try to move the blocks. I'm going to light any torches, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's sort of the, and then we figure out what else is going on. (laughs) Yeah, that's it, right? And and that's that's kind of Zelda is that you have this list of things you're always going to try first because they like little work. And then if it doesn't, it's like, (laughs) oh no, what do I do next? Right. Like, okay, now I have to think. I mean, the other thing that is very much like that is that um, people who play Zelda know that you're probably going to have to use the weapon you found in the dungeon against the boss. And it it took you a little while to figure that out. A minute for that. And yeah, I mean, definitely. (laughs) You always went to the sword, your trusty sword. You know what? I'm a brute up close. (laughs) That's my thing. Um, Yeah. You know, what's funny. Even before we recorded this, I went and watched a, a YouTube video that's like, comparing the 2019 version bosses to the Game Boy Color version bosses, just to like look at what, how similar are they and like what's the visual difference and all that. And in that one, I saw a guy who knows what he's doing um, fighting the slime eel. And that's the dungeon where you get the hookshot. We've talked a lot about the hookshot. I really like it. But he uses the hookshot to like pull the eel thing out of its hidey hole so he can like wail on it a bunch. I didn't do that. No. Nope. <laughs> I just waited for it to jab at me and then hit it like twice. And then he beats it in like eight seconds. And as soon as I see that, I'm like, right. Obviously. But it's also. The hookshot is like a fish hook. It's like an yeah. eel. Like you pull it. Like everything adds up so clearly. So I think also like sometimes the game was explaining itself perfectly well. And I was just too dumb to hear. <laughs> like it just. <laughs> but it's also nice that it still lets you proceed. Um, right, with your right. harder strat. Right. Like I can do it the hard way <laughs> yeah. if I want. And apparently I do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are there are ones that are more opaque, though, for sure. I mean, I don't know that inherently there's a sensible logic to like light the lamps. Mm-hmm. It'll make a passageway appear like, oh, sure. OK. <laughs> I mean, I can do that. I'm happy mm-hmm. to light your lamps. Yeah. It sort of only explains that by giving you nothing else to do but start chucking magic powder. Hmm at objects in the room Mm -hmm. and seeing what happens. Which is good. I mean, you check magic powder on a guy who's turned into a raccoon. and I checked magic powder (laughs) on all kinds of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So is there anything particularly surprising about this game, even outside of of the general structure that we've talked about? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest uh, thing that was a surprise is I expected this to be much more combat heavy than it was. Like, Oh, okay. I have to say, I didn't, I wouldn't say that I found this game hard. And that I don't mean that to come off really like humble braggy. It just I didn't expect like most of the challenge in this comes from wayfinding and solving the puzzles and getting where you're going. Okay, like, and that surprised you. Yeah, I, I guess I thought it, you know, like, so I've been thinking about this and like, why did I think that Zeldas were hard? And I think the answer is... And about combat. And about like, combat. Yeah. And I think the answer is just that I, I think on some level, I assume that every game that people who are like kind of hardcore and have been into games forever. Every game that they like is going to be hard. And that on examination makes no sense. But I think that's like the latent belief that's deep in there and behind some of the, like we talked about how I just have never felt like Zeldas were for me for like no real reason. Yeah. And I think this, I think it's wrapped up in this. I think I thought they were going to be like really, really combat difficult. 
Oh, that's it. That's interesting. I mean, we did see in a bunch of the the previews and reviews of the original game that the they mentioned that it was hard, mm-hmm. but I don't think the difficulty necessarily came from the combat, mm-hmm. right? It is, and I think it's a different skill set. It's and some people, especially if they're predisposed, maybe to mostly combat oriented games, right? When they have to wrap their heads around combat plus the puzzles, maybe that's where the difficulty comes from for some people, right? Whereas, like honestly, like spatial stuff and navigation and like pattern finding and stuff that. Those are some of my stronger like things that I do in games and like spaces where I'm more confident. So yeah, this was pleasantly like I I was like moving through this. I mean, there were there were a couple points where I got a little stuck and was you know mm-hmm. like before doing the trading quest was like I don't a hundred percent know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. But um, yeah, the holdup for me was pretty much never like oh I'm just stuck on this boss that I have to play eighteen times to get through. And and that makes you more inclined to oh yeah play more Zeldas yeah yeah okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is giving me more of what I... Because you're pleasantly surprised by this yeah. and by the series. Oh, yeah. I had a blast with this game. Okay, I had cool. way more fun with this than I thought I was going to, honestly. So the other thing that we talked about last time that we set you up for um, was the general mood, the tone of the game, these kind of weird characters. Did that pay off? Was Were you still surprised or did we kind of spoil that too much? Yes and no. It was, it was not spoiled, but it, it was different than I thought it was going to be. So I had talked about how coming into this... I sort of associated this like melancholiness with this game. And we talked yeah, in the setup episode. Word. Yeah, that was like, what I. Or your key expectation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we talked a bit in the setup of this how like Twin Peaks was a source of inspiration for it and how there would be this sort of like suspiciousness to the characters. So I was expecting a little bit more menace or mm. um, like an undercurrent of something a little bit sinister. And for the most part, this game is really sunshiny. Like, obviously, you have sort of the big concept that you're in a dream and you're going to be waking up the windfish. But there there was definitely, like, interesting characters with obscure reasons for being and motives and stuff. But I didn't... That's not exactly what I was thinking it was going to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, there was some... I mean, there's... Maybe this, maybe suspicion, maybe that was the wrong word to use, even though that's the word the developers used. Because mm-hmm. I think maybe you just associate that with some kind of... Um, Malicious intent. Mm-hmm. Whereas there, I think, yeah, suspicious in the sense that, like, why is this guy named Mr. Wright, who's modeled after game designer Will Wright, writing to the, like, being catfished by this goat? <laughs> right. And why is this alligator selling bananas and eating dog food? Right. He loves that dog food. That's <laughs> yeah. the thing. You have just all these flat, really, not, not flat as in bad, but like really opaque characters that are sort of indifferent in lots of ways to link and like to your quest like that alligator does not care about you he wants his dog food that's it that's his whole thing i i really like that and i think i think sort of related to that is something else that i really enjoyed along with the flat sense of humor of this game like i think at the beginning when you um when you wake up you you go and you can like investigate the wardrobe that's at the back of the cottage and like you click on it and it just says you checked out the chest it's a really nice chest and that's it and like maybe that's a joke about looking at boobs but also maybe it's just like a really flat self-evident like there's nothing else to say about this joke and i think that's kind of great i mean this everything in this world is just so like as is like one of the first things that happens is you go to this forest and um, you're trapped in this forest. And it turns out the reason for that is that Taryn, who's Marin's brother, maybe? Who's her dad? Dad. Great. Who looks like Mario. Yeah. Who looks like Mario. He ate a mushroom off the ground and 
transformed into a magic fox that traps you in this forest on an infinite loop until he just sobers up and stops tripping balls. And then like when he comes to, he's just like, weird, I thought I was a fox and just goes home. That's it. <laughs> it's over. You like sprinkle him with magic powder and he's just like, whew, you guys feel that? And then leaves. <laughs> like, that's all. And I think, so this is one of the things that I really, really love about this world is it it has all this strange stuff in it and this weird magic sort of at every corner. And it's really mundane. Nobody's like lampshading it. Nobody's making a really big deal of it. You don't have like people talking about like, ooh, there's strange magics in that forest. At one point you meet a ghost and you take it to the house where it used to live and then to its grave. And you don't have like a ghost hunter or like a grave digger being like strange goings on in the graveyard these days. Like everything just is as it is. Like it just is is a routine part of this world that like this weird stuff happens. Animal village full of animals living people lives. Yeah. And as we mentioned before, living alongside Mario characters. This seems right. to be the thing that threw you for a loop. It, I never got used to it. Because <laughs> like also... It starts with just like a plushie in the crane game, which is like incidental enough in the world that it's... And a chain chomp that you would have seen before. And a chain chomp, that's true. But like what really started to throw me off was when like, I think it's in the second dungeon, you just encounter a boo. Like it's not like a Zelda-fied boo, it's just a boo. And then you there's shy guys, there's the weird 2D sections that are sort of like a an old Mario platformer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the, with um, some piranha plants in there and yep. uh, you tried to go down the pipes. Which makes sense. Didn't work. <laughs> because in <laughs> not a stupid thing to try, I don't no. think. Actually, it's so it's like so convincing. I think I took some damage at one point because I my brain switched over to Mario controls on the on the pad. And so, I mean, that stuff was all cool. Honestly, as much as I like that so much of the world is just treated as self-evident and isn't explained, I honestly could have used a bit of explanation about this. Because it just is so weird. I mean, maybe the windfish is just dreaming Mario. But like, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> it, so does did the windfish create Mario? Like, are the are Mario worlds also the windfish's dreams? Maybe is the windfish Nintendo? Maybe, and it just dreamed all of all of. I mean, it stuff. does. It does imply that right Mario exists within the Zelda universe but i but you see that in their in the crossover games then Mario Kart and where they're like Mario Party yeah and Mario Party i mean those are mostly Mario characters but link is now crossed over into Mario Kart so anything's anything's possible okay um and i mean there's a precedent for this in even non kind of party games um link and samus both appeared in super mario rpg wait really i feel like i i think i watched you play that at one point i don't remember seeing them Oh yeah, they're, they're like little, I believe they're you. Little, I just yeah, they're remember. little cameos. That we, they don't make much about them. You just see them okay. sleeping. Weird. I mean, also maybe I like I hadn't played Super Metroid yet, so maybe I just like didn't didn't know, know who that was, or just like didn't care yeah. to like register it, like whatever. Yeah, I mean, you've Weird. brought up, but it's you have brought up Metroid and Super Metroid quite a lot just now, and in talking about your experience of the game. And so maybe one question we can think about, because structurally there are some similarities. Do you think that Zelda would fall under that Metroidvania category? Mm -hmm. Because even even the the creator of, um, or the director of Symphony of the Night, according to him, and it might be apocryphal, but he does say that he was more influenced by Zelda than Metroid in creating Symphony of the Night. Hmm. 
So is it, do these kind of all fall under the same general structure or do you think there's a, a, a an actual difference that makes a difference? I mean, I can definitely see why you bring that up. I certainly see in the gradually getting more traversal powers, backtracking through spaces, um, having this sort of setup where you're able to get further and further in a sort of confined space. I guess the thing that maybe makes it like I want to say no, I want to say no. And I think the thing that tips it for me is the dungeons in Link's Awakening cuz like one of the key things with a Metroidvania, right, is that you have um all it's all one space. It's interconnected and crisscrossing at multiple points, but it's one space. And I think in this case because you have this overworld and then you have these dungeons that just have one door in and out, like you go into the dungeon, you're going to, in most cases, you're coming right back out that same exit or entrance. It's not sort of all so uh, interconnected as I would expect from a Metroidvania. I think also like, I don't really know how to define this, but I think Link's Awakening plays with vastness and confinedness in a different way than like a Super Metroid does, where Super Metroid is very much about, for the most part, you're getting further and further away from the surface and your sort of entry point into this planet. And you're like digging down, down into towards um, where you're going to find mm -hmm. like Mother Brain. Whereas this one is, is you sort of really have this feeling of this huge map, especially because of the way it routes you through it. Um but you still have the sense of being confined on an island. So there's like a an open air vibe to it that doesn't, right. for me, map. Until, with... of course, you go into the dungeons. So maybe right. are the dungeons kind of these little Metroid microcosms for you? I really like that way of explaining how the dungeon works. I mean, and you do only, you only get one upgrade in right. each dungeon. Yeah. So that's another, it's like a little, a little just bite, like a little mm. piece of a Metroidvania <laughs> pie in, in each but yeah, I think for me that makes it that makes the whole game not a Metroidvania. But I don't like. Do people talk about Zelda's as falling into this category? Not really. It just it, it occurred to me as you were talking about it that, and when we're talking about the right. general loop of the game and the right. structure of the game, there there is kind of a lot that is similar. They at least, I mean, they follow the same design philosophies, maybe just for different ends. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, there, there's so much I liked about Super Metroid that's present here. So yeah. that totally. Makes I think there's sense. just something so pleasurable about the experience of identifying a place that you can't go knowing that you'll probably be able to go and then getting the thing that you know will let you Man, go there yeah. and remembering that and going back and seeing what's there. Getting that jump. And, Man, uh, I love a jump. And going through and then getting that missile pack or five rupees. <laughs> yeah, later on you you have the same problem where you'll like work really hard for a treasure chest in a dungeon. It's like 50 rupees. It's like, Damn it, get you know I don't have anything left to buy. Why are you, you want, doing this? All you want is a key. <laughs> all I want is a key. Um, so let's take a break here and maybe come back and talk more about the, the dungeon and the structure of the dungeon and the dungeon design. Sounds good. For a lot of players, the quality of a, of a Zelda comes down to the quality of its dungeons. So maybe we should uh, spend a few minutes talking about your experience of the dungeons in this game. I like the dungeons a lot. Um, I, I don't know that I like them way more hmm. than the overworld, to be honest. I was so impressed with this map. Okay. Um, but what I can say, there, there is a lot that I liked about the dungeons. And I do definitely understand why that would come to be a, 
uh, sort of signature part of a Zelda. So, I mean, I think the thing that jumps out at me first is the dungeons are really clearly structured, each around like one key idea. So I'm one that jumps out off the top of my head is the key cavern, which is where you get the scoop boots. You're just going to keep calling them that? I will never learn what their real name is. Okay. It doesn't, they're, don't they're, even biggest, say it. Okay. It doesn't matter. Okay. The scoop boots with which one scoots. So you start out and you're going through and you're navigating, but there's these like little gray jelly like tent things that no matter what you do to them, you can't like hit them with your sword and they bounce you off and you fall into holes and they're really frustrating. And then you get the scoop boots halfway through and then you're going to use your like scoot with your sword out. Oh, yeah, they do look. So for people who haven't played the Switch version, these are just they look like rocks in the original ones. But in this, they really do look like jelly tents. They look like little tents. Yeah, the things that you need to okay. run through. But okay. they're they're like boulders. Okay. I mean, hopefully people will know what I'm talking about. But so you have to run charging with your sword. <laughs> I didn't know what you're talking about. Just the jelly you, tents. It took me a while. from your face, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> get I, where, I get where you're coming from. Okay. So you have to do that. There's like other bad guys that you have to take out that way. And then in the final boss, he's this like jelly one-eyed thing uh, that then splits into two that I'm trying not to describe as looking like boobs, but they do. And then you have to use your scoop boots to like run up and and like break apart the connecting tissue between them and split them into two. Right. You hit him with your sword yeah. a bunch and he starts to break apart and you can see there's kind of a, that connecting tissue. Getting thinner and thinner. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the clue to you that you're supposed to kind of run and run into him with your sword to break him up. Yeah. 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 So you're using that same new thing that you have in a bunch of different ways to to get through that dungeon. So that to me is a really neat idea because also like being able to scoot, it's just like going faster Mm -hmm. with your sword out. Like that's not, there's nothing inherently magical about that, but Mm -hmm. it ends up feeling really like a special power that you have. Yeah. Right. Especially within, yeah. In the, in the context of the dungeon where you find it Mm -hmm. and then it is kind of teaching you different ways to apply it in the overworld for you Mm -hmm. to bring that knowledge, the knowledge with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I really like about, the dungeons um, and how Zelda uses its dungeons that it's very consistent, I think, with a lot of, kind of the design philosophy that extends back. Like it's Nintendo's design philosophy that you can see even in Mario, where it's you're you're given a problem and you have to figure out how to solve that problem in a very low stakes way. Mm-hmm. And then it escalates and then it iterates. And so it's really just this one single problem or one single mechanic that you have to play with, you know, five or six different ways to get through each kind of increasing in difficulty until you reach the boss, which is kind of the final test of the of the right. mechanic. Right. Um, but in this case, instead of just kind of ending at the dungeon, then you can bring that with you back to the overworld and hopefully solve some new puzzles. Mm-hmm. And I mean, speaking of solving puzzles, uh, and a thing that I did really value also about the dungeons is like, I keep wanting to use the word economy on in this, which is like, just how densely packed everything is, what like, a little clockwork box each of the dungeons is. There's so many cases where you're crossing through different parts of the same room multiple times going in different directions where you're like, oh, I'm going to come back here and I'm going to be able to go through those two doors. But I can't right now because I'm up on this platform and I'm not going to be able to get down. Um, And it has that, this is where that Metroidvania thing kicks in, which is about like seeing those spaces that you know you're going to cross through again later. And so much like the overworld map, there's like not an inch of empty space in these dungeon maps. Like every room has its own little puzzle, its own little puzzle box. Every There's like a question tucked into every corner um, there's just like a density and a playfulness of it that I really, really liked. Yeah. And there's, 
like there's all those moments where you're kind of on this ledge where kind of technically you're above the other rooms and you can look down into them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's that one where you can only see, you kind of notice that a wall is bombable mm-hmm. um, if you're going across that ledge. But if you're in the room where you'd have to drop the bomb, there's no indication that there's a bomb. Yeah. Wall, so you have to take that knowledge, notice that, and then go around to the, Remember pro- it? To the yeah. correct room. Yeah. Yeah. No, that stuff is so, so cool. I mean, I think another thing that I really appreciate is I kind of feel like the bosses aren't really like the centerpiece or like the crux of the dungeons. Like obviously they're the, they're the culminating fight. They're like in the way you've been talking about the iterative design stuff. They're the moment when you are supposed to be applying what you've learned with the most complexity using everything you have at your disposal. But they really, they were never the thing I spent the most time on. Mm-hmm. They didn't feel like the most essential thing. They didn't feel more important than the dungeon itself or like the path to get there. Yeah, I guess this is the first game you've played for um, for the show where you haven't really died to bosses a lot, where you'd have to do them kind of multiple times. You Often you'd get them first time. Mm-hmm. Um, what, or like once you figured out what the what the yeah. secret is, yeah, that's kind of what the fight is. The fight is the puzzle. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's almost like some of the bosses almost end up being like, um, like I thought at a couple points about what is the difference between a boss in this context and like a mini game, mm. because some of them have this sort of sense of like peculiar timing and like a sort of unique application of of a mechanic that you haven't quite seen before or done after. Like that thing, like pulling the eel out of yeah. the out of the thing with a hook shot. They're sort of their own um, special little like moment in time in the game. But yeah, it just I like that it didn't... But It felt like those dungeons could have existed without those bosses. Right, it, it does that, so it makes the bosses special. But, and I think this is key in relation to Metal Gear Solid, it doesn't introduce new mechanics. Yeah. Like it's, it doesn't... <laughs> It doesn't decide that all of a sudden we need to be a fighting game, even though we're not. Yeah, now you punch. Snake punches now. Or time to drive. Or, or, like, <laughs> or like now there's a rocket launcher. Yeah. With like a weird scope <laughs> that like is in first person. Yeah, that it's you're using the thing that you've been mm-hmm, kind of trained mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. use up until that point. You might be using it in a different way that you only use one way, but at mm-hmm. least you're familiar with that thing and it exists within the world and it's it kind of still works within the context of the game yeah i mean it kind of works in metal gear solid that that's not the case because you want to feel the bosses being this like larger than life sort of so outside like not on the level of like all the other mundane bad guys that you've hit but i do like in this one they feel like they're in the world like they feel like they just (laughs) live in these dungeons Mm -hmm. this is just where they were you found them um so yeah that that stuff I really liked. And then the other big thing I would say, which like, did it frustrate me at certain points? Yes. Do I think overall that it's good? Also, yes. There's sort of like a playful antagonism towards the player that's present in a lot of this puzzle design. I would say the best example of this is in, I want to say it's the sixth dungeon. Sorry, I didn't go back and look this up. There's So you know those blue and yellow peg things that you hit the crystal to switch which one is up and which one is down oh yeah so okay before you get into that okay there was this moment when you were playing uh-huh. when so you have these and you realize that you have to hit them with your sword and they'll make the pegs go up and down mm-hmm. and then later on there's one that you need to you need to hit it and then you realize that oh but if you hit it and it brings up the pegs it blocks your path to where mm-hmm. you're supposed to go so what am i supposed to do and Michelle's not figuring out that what you're supposed to do is you put a bomb there and then you run away and then... What do you mean supposed to? Did I find a solution? She she used the bow, which she had at this point. Yeah, I sniped and it. And it infuriated me. 
irrationally. Irrationally, because you did solve the puzzle. Including a couple of trick shots that were pretty <laughs> sick, honestly. And my mind's like, you're doing it the wrong way. <laughs> of course, it's not the wrong way. And then I was then I was thinking, oh, this is going to come back and kick her in the ass next time we play Zelda, like a different Zelda game, and she has to do this. But then she mentioned, I was like, oh, could I just use a bomb? And so she did figure it out later. But <laughs> yeah, for, whatever. For 10 seconds, I was so mad. <laughs> I don't understand why. I I made excellent use of the tools at my disposal just, and didn't need to resort to explosives. Okay. You know? <laughs> anyway, back to the, the pegs in this okay, one dungeon. Okay, so, so, so the they did pegs get their revenge. One. So, yeah. So, um, in this one dungeon, pretty early on in the dungeon, you find one of these, the crystal switch things that you hit to change the switch, but you have not seen any pegs yet. And so, passing by it, I was like, what is this? And just before the boss, I want to say it's like two rooms before the boss, you get into one room and it's just like, there's a row of these pegs, <laughs> like blocking off the door. And so then you realize, oh my God, I have to go all the way back there to hit this stupid switch. And like, I, I even hit the switch a bunch the first time I went past because I was like, I wonder which it's supposed to be set on. But I assumed I would see pegs more early. So that was a moment, like that was frustrating. But also I was kind of like, all right, you scamp. Like in a game that had built up less goodwill with me, that would just be obnoxious. So um, speaking of obnoxious, there was a, <laughs> oh, a certain dungeon that I think is the highlight of the game. I think you might feel more ambivalent. Level seven Eagles Tower. The Eagles I'm Tower. Calling you out. <laughs> you, had, you, you got pretty annoyed playing this dungeon. I got mad <laughs> i had to walk away for a minute playing this so this dungeon for me is an example of both the best design of this game and also the moment when some of those things tip over into excess and become more frustrating than enjoyable to solve and to navigate so i don't i don't know so this for me is like a classic zelda dungeon uh oh so i'm very curious to see um how you feel if we I mean, we will be playing Ocarina of Time at some point. It's inevitable. Yeah. Like, the, let's not even <laughs> pretend that that's not going to happen. So for me, okay, A, it's an Eagle's Tower. That's a pro. <laughs> I love the general thing that you don't know is going to happen until it happens, which is that you collapse a bunch of the floors of this tower down so that the whole geography changes about three quarters of the way through, especially on the upper level. It goes inside and outside into this mountain range that it's sort of built into. Like, all that stuff is great. But for me, this dungeon is where the twist and turnsy navigation stuff got too far out of its own reach. I didn't struggle a lot with how to navigate most of these dungeons. So even, for example, in that one that I was just talking about, where at, the, at basically the very end... It's like, oh, I have to go back to basically the very beginning and hit this switch. Like, I, don't, I don't think it was that far. Was it? it was pretty <laughs> it far. It probably ex experientially when you saw that, it probably <laughs> felt like you had to go back. A but like I knew where I was going. Yeah. It was like, okay, I got this. I probably spent the longest in this dungeon of any of them. And like to the end, I felt like I had no idea where I was at Like I had no idea how to get where I wanted to go. I would have a visual memory of rooms but not how the different paths connected to each other there's too many spaces where a bunch of different paths cross over each other and there's not clear throughways so one of the things that i really like that happens a lot in earlier dungeons and in dungeon 8 is that there will be these sort of like 
tent pole rooms. Like, and I think it's that key dungeon. There's one in the middle that is like a crossroads and it's like mm-hmm. in the middle of the base floor. So even if you've sort of been messing around and like flowing through, you get back to that crossroads and you know, okay, north of here is that room, south of here is that room. It's like a it's like a clear anchor point. This one I felt had none of the it just everything was like arbitrarily either you could go every way or somehow you could go like only one bizarre way and it wasn't an intuitive way like so i wonder if this so again i don't want to just completely excuse the dungeon maybe this is an example of less elegant design though i don't i don't know if i necessarily agree i i sure. think, i don't know it just seems to me that what it is is that the as we talked before, you didn't find this game incredibly challenging because it played to your strengths. And mm. all of a sudden there's this one dungeon that does not play to your strengths and you feel disoriented. But there's no different, there's no different, what different strengths was it not playing to? I mean, it. it's not like there's a new challenge introduced here that I couldn't do. I mean, there, there was, you, you, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't really figure out that you needed to throw the, the, the bowling ball, ball. Yeah. or that you had to carry it with you or that you had to throw it at the tower. That, I mean, you did eventually, but it, it it took a while. It took a minute. Well, it didn't take me... So first think, of all, when I encountered it and I hadn't met any of the pillars yet that eventually you throw it at to make the tower collapse, well, okay, I so, carried it for a long <laughs> time first. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, you're not. You, quote unquote, meet the pillars pretty early. You didn't notice <laughs> that they were there. Yeah, it's a pillar. It's not notable. <laughs> yeah. You know, I actually did also try to blow the pillars up with a bomb really early on. Like, I was like, that's weird. It looks like flimsy. And the bomb didn't work. And I was like, weird. Like, moving on. <laughs> weird old tower. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, and watching you, I think the point of frustration came from the fact that you did kind of navigate the entirety of the of the dungeon. Had it all open. And then realized that, oh, I should have been bringing the, that mm. ball, like the boulder through with me the whole time. And right. so it just made it incredibly tedious and it there is a tedium to it if you fall because because you can fall through the floor and it just brings you another floor Mm -hmm. and so if you make a misstep you do have to go kind of all the way back up and it's also not a thing where like okay in this room any of the 12 holes that i fall through i will fall into the same space Mm -hmm. below because there's so many weird like bisected parts of rooms Mm -hmm. like you're not falling this hole versus that hole in the same room doesn't necessarily land you on the same platform Mm -hmm. So it is making you think spatially in a way that is kind of sometimes difficult with those 2D planes. Mm-hmm. Um, but just kind of a spoiler alert is that I think this was a, an inspiration for them starting to think about how to <laughs> how they turn a dungeon to a 3D space. So I think you're right that if I had pieced together, I think there's a good chance that if I had pieced together that you had to do this thing with the pillars and worked it through taking those out one by one, like as I encountered them or was able to reach them. It might have felt different. Instead, I just, like you said, ran through this whole space, opened it all up, and then was like, what the heck? Like, I don't know what. So, yeah. So this one I found frustrating. I mean, honestly, one of the great things about a lot of these dungeons is not just that they're, like, very compact and everything. They're also, like, pretty short and sweet. Mm -hmm. Like, you're in and out of these things usually, like. In well inside an hour, guess, often inside half an I hour. I guess that's the, maybe the last question I want to ask you about dungeons is in terms of the challenge, right? Because you, you don't want the dungeons to be too easy, but you don't mm-hmm. want them to be frustrating. You don't want them to be too long. So where where is that sweet spot? Did did you find that these these dungeons still offered you kind of the right amount of resistance, or or were they apart from the Eagle's Tower almost too simple? Um, I would say they range from a little on the simple side to feeling about right. I also, 
I don't find it hard to enjoy a game that's not that hard. The the sort of joy of like working through the puzzle and like, okay, now I can get into this space and now I get that key and like now I can open up this over here. I don't know really how hard I need that to be for it to be fun. That is inherently fun for me. But there needs to be, I think, some inertia. Yeah, yeah. Right, where you can't just... Like your brain still has to mm-hmm, make mm-hmm. those connections. They can't. You can't just be completely on autopilot. I mean, in every in every one, there was usually at least a couple little weird things that you had to figure out. Like in the one where you get the flippers, there's an unmarked spot where the water just gets deeper, and you have to think to dive down into it. It like it's not. It doesn't look like it's. It looks like it's just like a puddle in the floor, and you have to think to like dive down, and then mm-hmm. you get one of these two D underwater passages and then it takes you to the key you know there are cases where there are bombable walls that like aren't marked by the very traditional like oh cracks in the wall or whatever like there's one where i think that the tiles on the floor make a bit of an arrow mm-hmm. pointing down like towards the screen there's some other like weird kind of i mean tri- the face dungeon one of the puzzles requires oh God, you to face dungeon <laughs> look what the at the map itself that makes a face because the 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 clue says to do something in his eye and so you have to Wait, do what? that? Maybe you just. I don't think I did that. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I don't remember that. I don't remember just, ever noticing that the, the overworld looked like a face. Yeah, each of the each of the maps themselves looked like an object. No kidding. You filled them. In. <laughs> <laughs> um, one moment that I do remember you uh, feeling particularly smug about was when you first encountered those shy guys and they mimic your movements. Yeah. It took you a while to figure out how to beat them. And then when you realized that you kind of have to get them to back into you and then use your spin attack. Yeah. You felt like a damn genius. Yeah, it felt good. You felt so good, right? So I think there still needs to be those moments yeah, where you yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You figure you, out a little thing. Where you are stuck, but for not too long. And so yeah. you can feel really smart, but you don't have the frustration. There's the there's a sweet spot there. Yeah, no, that's definitely, definitely true. And there's still moments of surprise. Like the speaking of the face dungeon or the face shrine, like, oh my God, that boss is nightmare fuel <laughs> for like a, such a candy colored game. I was like, what is this? I mean, then. I wrote a quote. You mentioned you're going through the bo- the the dun- the face shrine, and you just said, "I'm expecting this boss to be a freak, yeah. <laughs> weird and bad." <laughs> and then when you saw him, I was you right. Claimed I was right. <laughs> yeah, what the heck? Um, I'm trying not to cuss, but yeah, that. I mean, but then his mechanics are pretty simple, right? You just drop bombs on his face. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It there's like there's definitely enough. There's still like meat there, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that uh, I think that'll wrap up. Our thoughts on dungeons. I'm sure we'll revisit the topic of dungeons again and again as we get into more games, Zelda and otherwise. Can I ask you a stupid question? Sure. Why are they called dungeons? Like, how <laughs> do we get that terminology in games? Um, I think it's a. I think it's just a D and D convention. Though. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. The dungeons the... and Dragons. Because I, as far as I know, none of the Zelda games refer to the dungeons as dungeons. They always right, have like, a name, like a shrine or a grotto I don't or know a temple. I've, I don't know that I've ever played a game that like calls them. Apart from. Dungeons and Dragons. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. The one example. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's, yeah, that isn't really relevant for this. I just, <laughs> it occurred to me that, like, I don't actually know where that term yeah, comes we from. we can go mull that over and uh, we'll be right back. Great. So 
now that you've actually finished Link's Awakening, I think it's time to revisit the question that we talked about in the last episode about the fact that you were playing the 2019 version. Mm-hmm. And so you did play the 1997 version, Link's Awakening DX, the Game Boy Color version. And I'm just curious if there's... Do you still think it was kind of fair to play the, the 2019 version? That's kind of one thing I'm interested in. And then the other is that really you are playing this um, remake or remaster <laughs> of a game from 1993. And so was there anything about it that did feel like a relic of 1993 and not a 2019 game? Mm-hmm. So I can say off the top that I, going into this, I felt pretty confident that I was that like playing this was for the purpose of our podcast, like it counts as playing the original playing Link's Awakening. I feel less sure about that after playing through it. Um, There were a couple of points where I was like, do I like this because it's inherently good game design or do I like this because this version has made it so beautiful and so fluid? Mm. So one, my, my first cause for suspicion (laughs) is that this game feels awfully smooth. All the transitions between Things feel really smooth and fluid. What do you What do you mean? Transitions um, like between your movements as Link. Yep, that's um, enemy animations, movement from I mean, you played, screen to screen. You played the You played the ninety seven version. Did that not feel fluid? I think that it feels pretty good. So okay, so one for example, one space where I think it really comes up is in controls. So Switch has four buttons: X, Y, A, B. Um, the Game Boy had just A and B, right? Well, yeah, so, we, yeah, we talked about this quality of life improvement. Yeah, but like I'm starting to wonder if it is just a quality of life mm. improvement, right? Because I think one of my genuine frustrations with both Metal Gear and Super Metroid was the way that both of those games made me rotate through what weapons mm. or abilities I had up. I found it genuinely annoying and disruptive and that it lessened the enjoyment of my playthrough. That is just a cosmetic quality of life thing, but also I, I'm i less sure that that can be isolated out mm. from a general impression of what it's like to play the game. In this game, as soon as I got the jump feather, I just like put that in my, like whatever the top button is. You don't know what anything's called. No, it's the feather that makes you jump. I just like put that in my like top button and it stayed there the entire rest of the game. Okay. Like I always had my sword, my shield, and my jump up and just rotated that last thing. And so you think that's like an experiential difference yeah. that that actually matters in a significant way. Yeah, as opposed to looking at a room and being like, okay, I'm going to jump across this gap and then I'm going to hit that guy with my sword mm. and I have that laser incoming. So I'm going to put up my feather and my sword and then I'm going to jump, I'm going to hit that guy and then I'm going to quickly push start. I'm going to pause this game with a beam coming at me, rotate one of those two things out from my shield, that's a very, you're playing a different game, I think, at that point. And it didn't really cause any problems in the, because I only played through the end of the first dungeon in the DX Mm. version, right? So at that point, you've got your sword, you've got your shield, you've got your magic power. There's not that much moving stuff around that you have to do. But I'm picturing by the end when you have a whole bunch of stuff going on, um... I don't know. I think that might have been a like a bigger hmm. drawback than than we might have made it seem. The other thing is like so that, and that's something I think that would make it feel very of dated. Game Boy nineteen ninety three. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, another big thing is like a lot of the art changes are just sort of like the original looks really good, right? And especially in dungeons, 
in lots of ways, this is just sort of an, an up like slightly polished up version of that. But there are also lots of spaces in this game that give it a lot of character that have a much bigger art design rework than that. And I'm thinking specifically of the interiors of like any of the characters' houses. Like if you, we talked about that um, that gator that sells bananas and eats dog food. Yes, yeah, sail the the gator. Yeah, yeah. He's got like a whole little mm-hmm. aquatic tropical mini indoor <laughs> pool thing. Like that's it. That looks different in the original. Like a mm-hmm. lot of the rooms in the original, like they still look good relatively for what they are, but it's not the same feeling as going into those animal village houses and like. Man, the kitchen in that that bear's kitchen in the <laughs> animal village is like the coziest thing that you'll ever see in a video game, and like I'm sure it also like works well in the Game Boy Color. But there's like a there's like a substance there I think that feels a little more than what I was expecting. So, are you saying no more remasters? Not universally, no. But I'm, I guess I'm just rethinking like the role of quality of life upgrades and and Mm. these sorts of things like where we draw the lines about what's frivolous or or like marginal enough that Mm. we can be like uh like uh, it's okay um and what really matters and realizing how much actually some of that depends on like your personal triggers for what what drives you nuts what Mm. do you love what is a difference that is going to make me based on my Mm -hmm. taste be like oh i love that i love that when like it wasn't in the beginning right. or like does someone else have much more patience than me for hitting s- pause yeah. and swapping out stuff so i don't know i just feel like it's a more complicated question maybe than i did before we before i started playing this so if we stop thinking about it in terms of the art kind of the art design the quality of life improvements we really get to like the bare bones like the bones of the game is there anything there that felt incredibly archaic or that really held up um it was really interesting seeing a hint system embedded into the game and we talked about this a bit with metal gear right because the codec system is kind of like your you call it when you want to hint a little bit but here we have the owl statues inside all the yeah so yeah so i gotta say watching you play this and seeing the hints and between yeah between the owl and between the things in the dungeons in this case owl statues Mm -hmm. And between Ulrira on his phone. The library. And the library. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of hints. Yeah. Which makes, maybe I was a dumbass as a kid. How did I get stuck? <laughs> what a stupid child. <laughs> and I'm trying to think. I, I can't remember exactly. No, because it's not like, no one tells you to go do that trading quest. Like, there's not really a hint about that. But yeah, no, there there are like, I don't know. It just, it just, it's. That feels like a relic of a pre-internet age, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't need hints now because we have message boards and we have GameFAQ. And like that just isn't something that I think we'd have right now. Although in a way I wish we did again because like I don't always want to go diving into the questions that have been asked and like weird Mm -hmm. advice from strangers and like almost always getting spoiled for something else that you don't want to know. I sort of like and haven't really had a lot of experience with games that give you like a little bit of hint Good support. internal hint systems that exist within the world and yeah. are supported by the yeah. world and the characters. Yeah. Yeah. And are and are tailored to probably specific points where, you know, in playtesting mm-hmm. or whatever they found, okay, sometimes people need a little nudge around this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes sense that you, into it. you find hints in the library. 
Yeah, I or, love that that's a library. I mean, it doesn't make sense that there's be this guy who loves giving you hints on the phone, but Less it kind so. of makes. But in this world, sure. <laughs> in it, this that's world, what I love. yeah. In this world, it works. It also there's like there is kind of almost like an earthbound sort of vibe to the the phone calls where it's sort of like this like slightly lonely old man who's like trying to be friendly and gives you like slightly opaque hints no pretty direct hints and and well wishes like i don't know why he's just like yeah, feels you like your that, grandma in this world you mentioned that before that and i mean earthbound you haven't actually played through the entirety of earthbound not but all you have, of it like, i've played but enough it, you have compared like the vibe to this game yeah kind of, and i think that it actually checks out like and I you kind of get it yeah like even more so than twin peaks it's like earthboundy yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 i would definitely for me that's a much closer like reference point for the sense of humor and the sort of weird mm-hmm. uncanniness and like the sort of humanness at the same time of it. Um, so you want these hint systems to come back? I honestly, I like it because I, I didn't go to, I, I haven't looked up anything online for any of these games that we're playing. So that's part of our deal. But also I just like, I don't ever really want to do that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? With Ulrira, there were lots of times I didn't bother going into those little phone mm-hmm tree things because i was like i'm good i know what i'm doing right now i'm okay like it let me manage my own flow a lot better um yeah and didn't send me off into spoiler zone to to get a little nudge when i needed it mm. so yeah i kind of liked it bring yeah. them back yeah okay so hint <laughs> systems you liked yeah anything anything else um i'll tell you something that i liked please do that felt fresh to me um that bow you don't get the bow in a dungeon. Uh-huh. They have to buy it. It's and, available right from the and start. It's available pretty early on, and it's really expensive. It's so expensive. And in a lot of games, there'll be something that's very ex- expensive right. as almost a disincentive to buy it. Right. And almost as a sign that you're going to find it some other way right. over the course For of the game. For a million rupees, you can like get... Yeah. And honestly, I forgot about it. And so if I was like playing this game, I would I forgot you had to buy it. And so I just assume I'd be getting it mm. in a dungeon. And then you get to the last dungeon where you need it and you and it's not in that dungeon. <laughs> and it's like, no, you gotta you gotta pony up the cash. I wanted that bow so bad. I was like watching my rupees from the very start, being like, as soon as I have that in fact, I think you, I remember you, it's nine hundred and eighty rupees. Oh yeah, you walked in and you said nine hundred and eighty <laughs> rupees. What do I have to do? Rob a bank? <laughs> Which I thought that was going to clue you in that maybe you could steal it. But no, you... I just was like, I have to get, I have to get them all. <laughs> Which we'll get at later. That's spoiler. <laughs> I'm going to mow all this grass down with my sword and get. All Michelle was Michelle was not a thief. No, no. Um, but that's something else that I think feels really fresh. Like that, this game gives you the option mm-hmm. that if you wanted, I mean, you didn't even try because why would you? It didn't occur to me. It didn't occur to me for a single second that you can just steal something from the shop and yeah. then you get caught and you get killed and then people call you thief. Yeah, but you still get the thing. You still get <laughs> the item, and you can do that. That's I don't know. For me, that that freedom. That's that's freedom we don't have. Yeah, in most right. games that consider themselves open and right including i love that the consequence of that is just that all the people in this world call you thief mm-hmm. you don't like get the bad ending or anything like right. that it just is like everyone in this you lose the respect i mean yeah it kind Marin of calls yeah, you it, thief. that hurts that's the thing it that hurts sucks. but like it just lets you it just lets you feel that mm-hmm. as opposed to having like a big like game consequence right. in like a capital c way yeah which i guess like i mean yeah, there's there's also the the 2D sections of mm-hmm. of this 
I had never seen that except for in Super Mario Odyssey, which was what last year, the year before. Yeah, two years. Like recent, like Switch, mm-hmm. current gen. Um, there's sections of that that swap between 2D and 3D. I was like, oh, how novel! <laughs> and I'm like, oh, was this contemporary or is it old? That's like coming back. <laughs> I don't know. I I was so surprised to see that in this game. It felt really fresh, even though like I know that's in the original as well. That's not like a Switch novelty. But yeah, I was like weird. <laughs> weird and neat. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I still don't understand why there's like boos or thwomps in this. That's still unexplained. But yeah, I don't know. That that stuff was really neat. I mean, I guess the other thing that um I don't know if this is old and I mean I know it's in the original, but the that again, that trading quest like goes all over the world. It's not flagged. Like it's just it's just there. Like mm-hmm. you just better figure it out. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't know what era that belongs to. Like it feels uncommon now, but I don't know if that's of like the trading sequence or the yeah, like what part of it? I mean, it's so, so vast and unmarked. I think that's mm, it okay. and essential. Okay, so another kind of spoiler: trading sequences soon become a staple of Zelda. Oh, okay. After this one, okay. I don't think they're always mandatory. Okay. Uh, but I think the thing that you might be getting at is the thing that I was trying to get at when we were talking about adventure and what makes me feel like I'm on an adventure. And for me, I always said it was lack of waypoints. Mm. Did you did you feel that in this game, that kind of a a lack of that kind of explicit direction? Yeah. You know what? I didn't really relate to your point about loving not having waypoints before, but I completely 100% agree that that would have been an, like waypoints would be a bad addition to this game. And so here's so here's something else I realized. Um, this game, in a lot of ways, totally has waypoints. Like whenever you come out of a dungeon, the you get kind of this weird premonition of where to go next. Mm. The owl comes and kind but of tells you. But it's a description. You. It'll be like the waterfall. That's that's what I mean. It's it's so it's not that I don't want direction. Right. I just don't want to be explicitly told where to go. And it's like a pin on the map. Yeah, unless I put the pin on the map. That's another thing. We got to talk about how you can note up this map. Oh, that's also Why new. Why did they stop doing that? Oh, that's new. Okay. That's that's just for the Switch version. Okay. All right. That's good. Fresh game. <laughs> Everyone, God, I just want to be able to add notation to every map in every game. And this one is just like, there's just a little set of different symbols that you can put at different points. You don't get to like label them. You just have to know in your head, okay, I'm using the diamond to mean this. But like, oh my God, I love that. Mm-hmm. Please give me more <laughs> of that. Please. I'm begging. <laughs> I think you've played. I think in Horizon you can mark up the map. No, I think you, you can't. Can. I don't think so. Or you can put like one pin. You mm. can put like one pin in that's not like in addition to your goal. But it's not like this. No. And that's, and so that's what I want. I Like if I came out of a dungeon and it said, go to the waterfall. And then something came that said, you're... 50 meters from the waterfall and I <laughs> yeah. move and it get that number gets smaller. That This game sucks then. Okay. This game is bad. Oh, Link's Awakening, you mean? If it did that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stinks. I agree. I agree. But tell me to go to a waterfall. Mm-hmm. Or um, like it's up in the mountains. Yeah. Like, okay, go find but, it. But that's the thing. Like, I do want some direction. Mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm. want to be the... I want to feel smart for finding it. <laughs> it's again, I know you're leading me straight there, but still. Yeah, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's again... Trick with, me. Like, for me, adventure... 
like a sense of adventure is kind of an illusion. Like I want to be directed, but I want to mm-hmm. feel like I'm going there on my own. That's what makes me feel like I'm a good adventurer. Right, right. Like I don't want that frustration. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with, right, I with games. It's like we, like like you said, right, like linearity sometimes is, is sometimes meant in a derogative way. I think mm-hmm. you bring this up sometimes. And I think it is, but I don't think we actually don't, like people don't like linearity. I think we love yeah. linearity. We just don't want to be told we're on the path. <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to feel like constrained in that way. We want to feel structure. We want to feel direction and momentum without it being... And we want to feel that that is coming from us as the player Mm -hmm. and that's us exerting our agency. Yeah, this is also, this is the adventure role, right? This is like, it has to be consensual Mm -hmm. and propelled by the character or the player. Yeah, but don't give me 100% agency because I will not finish your game. (laughs) Right, yeah. Like, because, and that's like, that's on me, but I mean, that's... That's that's real life. That's real life. Also, like, I have shit to do. <laughs> like, I can't spend 100 hours like, exploring your tiny map. Um, but yeah, yeah. that's so I think that became clear for me of what I mean by no waypoints. Cool. It means just don't put the stupid arrow on the map. Right, right. No, I just get that Just don't completely. do it. It's way more fun to hear, um, go to the waterfall and remember where you saw a waterfall. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I think it's on this It's on like the east side of the map a little bit, but it's like north in the mountains. Okay, let me go up that way and see where I can get to. Yeah, and that is something that I think is very old game design that's becoming new game design again. Hmm. Because as we talked about before on on episode zero, you kind of refound games, I think, at their most Mm hand-holding. And I think that in some ways good because it, it, it makes some games more inviting for players. But I think a lot of those... A lot of that just led to really lazy design. Right, right. Um, where really, if your world is designed well, I should be able to figure out how to get to where I need to go because it guides me through visual cues right? Um, or through just logical layouts. Right. I mean, even at the beginning of Link's Awakening, right, you wake up and you're told to go to the beach and you walk out of the house and there's a nice little path that if you want, just follow that path and it brings you right to the beach. Yeah. You don't need explicit arrows. Yeah. But... And you can see on the overworld map kind of what yeah. direction you should and be going in. They are kind of a version of arrows. They just are integrated into the world. Right. Like that's just give me the illusion that I'm doing it on my own. That's right. all I want. <laughs> I want to do I it. I just want to be tricked and I tricked I want to well. do it. Yeah. No, that's that's fair. That's what a game is. A game is like giving you the right amount of challenge, the right amount of difficulty, and the right amount of autonomy, right? That's yeah, like think, the sweet spot. And that's the thing watching you play this like, oh yeah, this is this is old game design, but it's and it feels so fresh, but it is from I mean 1993. I love I mean it's from even this before overworld then. map. Man, I love this overworld. <laughs> that maybe the last big thing for us to talk about is just the the story so we we've hinted at it before or at least we hinted at the right the vibe the tone of the Mm -hmm. game but there is there there is a semblance of a narrative here and it Mm -hmm. is especially up until this point maybe the most narrative heavy zelda game Hmm. um none of the ones that came before were were very narrative heavy and um it does kind of have this this ending um with the windfish where you realize that the windfish is dreaming this island yeah and it like it tells you that about six times and like it it tells you 
oh, and you too will disappear when the wind fish awakes. It like I think the last three bosses all tell you. I'll tell yeah, you right. That. Well, there comes to a like, point. Yes, I know. I know. Thank you, man. I I'm kind of bummed out that that's your response. Like it for me, it's like there's this point where. There's, so there's these nightmares that are trying to keep you out of the island, and then mm-hmm. they're failing. And so all of a sudden, they're trying to convince you of why you shouldn't be destroying them. Mm-hmm. They give you a hint that maybe if you destroy them, the island will disappear. That doesn't do anything. You continue on. Mm-hmm. So then they kind of have to tell you that maybe you'll disappear. Mm-hmm. And that still didn't stop you. But Well, okay. So so this is actually an interesting segue from our conversation about about like new game design versus old game design. Because one of my, I think, weirdest intuitions about this game was, so I understood the, I understood the premise, right? Like I, I, I get what we're doing here. I get more or less what's going to happen when I wake up the windfish. I kept expecting it to like give me a moment at the end when it would let me make a, a, a really clear choice. Like I would like have to move the cursor from like wake the windfish to like don't wake the windfish or something like that that it would name that it would give me a moment where it would declare to you this is the moment where you make one of two choices and i think this is like my 2010s rpg training kicking in this is what happens when one of your first like contemporary games that you play is bioshock yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um that would i be, actually thought about bioshock a fair bit during this that would be such a st- Stupid no, choice. I know, I know. But okay, so then without that, though, we end up in this weird position where like, so I understand that what I'm doing, I'm, I have to wake the windfish to get off this island and get back to my life. Okay, that's the that's the trajectory of this game. Um, I understand that it's going to cause this island to vanish. Marin's going to vanish. Possibly I'm going to vanish. But like, for me to, I don't, for me to, com- finishing the game is waking up the windfish. Like, what what is it what are you what are you asking of me in in this case like it's almost like oh, i feel bad because you're gonna finish the game anyway it's like did anyone stop playing this game did anyone be like well i want no part of this i mean like, i don't think <laughs> i mean i don't think that's that's kind of an artificial choice as well i think i think the part the point is that of course you're inevitably going to wake the windfish because mm-hmm. you're I mean, unless you're a dumbass me as a kid, you're never going to finish the game. <laughs> Who wanted to wake the windfish? But... And right, and if you're kind of in the character of Link, of course you need to go home, right? So it's not there is no choice. So you just have to like live with the fact that inevitably this the island is going to disappear. And I mean, even you playing it before you you so you knew you had the windfish left, and mm-hmm. you maybe is maybe this is just something you do whenever you're playing um, any game with kind of NPCs and towns. But you went and you visited everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of just saw what they had to say, kind of as a way to say goodbye. You went and visited Marin. Yep. And then you went to the Windfish. Yeah, it's both. I think that's both. That is both something that I like doing in any game where there are like characters in that way. And also I was stalling. Like this was mm. was putting off going to that like. And I mean, final and that's thing. the th- and I think that there is like some kind of um harmony between the narrative and what you can actually do because there is so much you could do to stay in that world. You could collect all the seashells. Sure. You could go and collect all of the sure. the hearts. Right. So there is stuff that could tie you to that world beyond when it has to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I suppose that, that's true. And there is almost a story reason for that. Right. Because often, right, there's no in a lot of games, like why, if you're powerful enough, would you just dawdle and collect hearts with like Ganon's <laughs> sure. on the loose? Right. But in right. here there's actually In fact a- that's like a weird thing sometimes when you're like wrapping up side quests mm-hmm. and everyone's like, Shouldn't we go? There lots of people mm-hmm. are dying. Shouldn't we can we go? And you're like, I have to 
Yeah, it's like that JRPG thing with like right before the last boss when everything should be the most it's a crisis, urgent. It yeah. just opens up You're and like, there's like a thousand side quests to do. Time to do some smithing. Yeah. <laughs> right, so and so here, I don't know. It's it's kind of built in that yeah, you would want to spend more time just puttering out around this world. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it also is interesting to read Marin through the lens of like what's going to happen because Marin. You have this like nice, really sweet moment with her where she's always like looking out to the water and being like, what's beyond? I want to know what's beyond this. Like she she has this year. She has like borderline a Disney princess. I wish mm-hmm. song with you at the water. Mm-hmm. Where she's like, I want to go beyond the shores. Like if you're hearing like how far I'll go from Moana, that's like the vibe. Mm-hmm. And you sort of are starting to know at this point, like, you know what that means. Right. But you sort of have to read her. You have to read that almost as her on some level giving sort of her blessing to like what you're going to do. Like, I, I don't know how else to take that. And there's even there's an implication at some point as Marin is helping you move along and like get closer and closer to the windfish. I think someone asks, does she want you to wake it up? Like question mark. Like it's mm-hmm. raised that maybe she kind of on some level knows what's going on. Um, and I think. The fact that the game takes probably the character that you are going to feel the most connected to and like has that character sort of give permission of what's going to happen in a in a tacit way uh, is interesting. I, I sort of have mixed feelings about how to reconcile that with like the game wanting you to feel this like slight resistance or, or regret or like acceptance or whatever. Because I, I don't want to be able to be like, well, you know, Marin wanted this <laughs> like that. I don't think that's like quite fair realistic yeah and maybe this is taking it too far but i don't know for me this game does a much better job than something like metal gear solid so (laughs) you know i went on a rant about how i usually hate breaking the fourth wall just yeah just to show that you understand i know this is a video game (laughs) like yeah okay great or like to like call attention to that you're a player of the video game yes i know i don't care yeah in this game, though, I, right, this kind of ending is much is very much about the relationship between the player and the game, or mm-hmm. or the player and any kind of fiction. That right, that there is kind of literally this world is going to kind of be your memory. You're going to mm-hmm. shut it off, and you can revisit it by replaying it. But the relationship we have with most media is that we live in this world, we exist in it, we love it, and mm-hmm. then we shut it off, and it it disappears and it's our memory right and so it is i don't know for me this kind of it's a little bit like it's quaint but Mm -hmm. it's also 1993 and it's this nice kind of meditation on the relationship between you and these characters um that's so much more for me impactful than anything that happened in metal gear solid right which is also like a very ambitious type of storytelling for like a little sword and shield adventure game right Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's like downplaying what zelda is but like they didn't need to do all that. Mm-hmm. They could have had a perfectly nice game without that stuff. It's like, <laughs> that's like a, they really were like thinking some stuff and trying some things in this game. Yeah. And I think getting really at the crux of what is the purpose of fantasy Yeah, as a, as a, as a genre in general. What a sweet thought. I like that a lot. That, uh, that actually helps me um, sort of figure out how I feel about this, this whole setup a lot more. Okay, because my yeah. Bioware training ruined me. For, like, well, yeah, because the, the first time we talked, you're like, well, I figured out the twist. Well, it's like it's clearly not a twist. They, <laughs> you were like, too much Kojima. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, where's my choice? <laughs> I I just think this is like this is like the era that raised me, right? This yeah. is like what I really part. You know, if we're looking at where 
where these like older games like buck my expectations that are formed in like mm-hmm. a, the more like contemporary era. This is one of those places. This is really it. I really, really 100% thought there would be like <laughs> a yes, no, like A or B choice. Like capital ending, C choice. Ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I, I, I don't think that that's better than what we got, right? I just, it, it, that was in me. My, that was what I thought was going to happen. Uh, well, let's, um, let's check in on, on how you did with your, with your predictions. I think it was less good this time. I tried, I've been on a roll. You were, yeah, I think it, I don't know if it finally worked in my favor, if you got more wrong than right. You're but just making the, these harder. But I did try to make them a little bit harder. Or at least... More open-ended questions where the chances of you getting it right are so slim. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, okay. So let's just go through these quickly. You said, will you learn the difference between Ganon and Ganondorf? I did not. And you you didn't think you would, so you got that one right. Nice. Um, I asked you what a windfish was. I think I just said it was some kind of like flying fish. I, I gave a dumb answer. You weren't, you weren't wrong, <laughs> but you weren't right. I didn't say a weird patterned multicolor whale. <laughs> That is asleep and dreamed a whole world. I think I got that wrong. Uh, and we asked you about the owl if you trusted him, because in the manual it did ask, is he friend or foe? Ooh. And you said he was friend. Yeah, owls are always friend. And he was he was technically friend, I'd say. I think, yeah. I think he's he's definitely not working against you. Um, I asked you how many hearts you'd end up with out of the total of 20. I said 14. And you ended up with 16. You did uh, better than you thought. Ooh, too good. <laughs> Asked you if you thought there'd be a dark world, because that's one of the things you remembered from Link to the Past. Mm-hmm. You thought there would be. Yeah. And there is not. I asked you to uh, describe a boss that you would encounter. <laughs> I said it would be a sentient coconut, which I still think is very cute and funny. <laughs> and like could have been a boss in this world, but is not. No, it was not. <laughs> and then I asked, would you be a thief? I said yes. And you were wrong. You were not a thief. I didn't even know how to be a thief. And I thought about it on as I was going through. I was like, at what point could I be a thief? And it just like it didn't even occur to me to try to steal anything from that store. But still, you did you did you did pretty well. I did yeah, I got like half. Um so before we before we wrap up, um, do you want to give this a score? Yeah, I would love to give this a score. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> For not smirking at itself or ever getting too cute, plus 10. For having the densest, richest overworld map in the business, 15. For not doing anything with the boarded up well in Animal Village, minus 6. Because the windfish looks goofy, minus 4. For letting me note up the map, plus 12. For those recurring enemies where you have to hit them all to be the same card suit, minus 5. That makes no sense. For putting a weird, unnecessary, stupid dungeon inside the egg, minus two. For that floppy guy who throws a cannonball at you and gets scared when you try to throw it at him, plus six. For the economy of scale in every single element of this game, plus 15. For not letting me cross that thorny swamp once I lose the chain chomp, minus three. For giving me temporary animal companions with awesome skills, plus 10. For the extremely stupid and flat humor, plus five. For letting Marin be better than you at the crane game, plus four. For the many extra characters, complete disinterest in Link, plus eight. For the weird Earthbound vibes from Elrira, plus four. For never explaining the Mario references, I have to deduct six. For swimming that isn't a bummer, plus ten. For the life that's breathed into absolutely every character, plus nine. And... For pretending after all of that that we didn't snuff Marin out of existence, minus eight, giving us a total of oh. 79. 79. So I think we have to subtract 12 because the the original didn't let you mark up the map. 
Ooh. So that Ooh. gives you a total of 67. Wow. Well, there's an argument for why we have to be careful about remakes <laughs> right there. That's a huge point spread. Dang. I still don't know what this is out of, but... Uh, it's not out of anything. It's just an accumulation of points. Okay. Did you even listen to my scale? A, a score dreamed up by the wind fish <laughs> Oh, man. You're, it also made me think of all the things we didn't talk about, like how much you loved having that chain shop follow you around. Oh, my God. I love that chain shop. How you were a nut in the animal village. How when you saw the board <laughs> up well, you said. Why oh, no, is there well, nothing in that well? First of all. You went and you, because you saw they wanted Marin to come. Yeah. And then you got jealous. love Marin. And then you pulled out your ocarina and you played it. Nothing <laughs> happened. I played Marin's song because I thought they wanted to hear Marin's thing. And nothing so happened. I tried. And then it was you, a reasonable problem And solving. then you got mad and you said, fine, I'm going to bomb your town. I did not. You did. I never and did. And then you went and started trying to bomb that area with the with the well that was boarded up. Why would that be there if and you then, can't do anything with it? And then she goes and she sees the walrus who's just sleeping like a Snorlax. Yeah, he's a Snorlax. And what does she do? Before even so interacting, wake him up. she just rears back, gets her Pegasus boots, and just charges at his face. They're called with her the sword. Scoot boots. <laughs> I just got them. A complete maniac, which is why clearly she felt no sentiment for <laughs> <laughs> Marin at the end. Uh, man, there's so much to talk about with this game, but we'll we'll come back to Zelda. I'm trying to pretend she turns into a seagull. <laughs> Get out of here! You didn't even earn that ending. <laughs> but watch I it on, it on YouTube. YouTube. Um, but yeah, we'll come back to more Zelda definitely in the future. I think Ocarina of Time is probably sooner than later in, yeah. your, in your future. Gotta um, do it. You seem to enjoy this and, and want more. Mm -hmm. But uh, Ocarina of Time, we'll have to wait for some other time. Yeah. Before that, we have to thank you again for listening. And if you've been enjoying this podcast, please help us out by rating and reviewing us on your podcast app or telling a friend. You can find us, as always, at neverwasagamer.com, on Twitter at, at neverwasagamer. And on your favorite podcast app. Wait, we got to stop the presses. Oh, God. <laughs> While you were doing your spiel, I went and did some fact checking. Um, and the well is not boarded up in the original. And so since we reallocated points based on not being able to mark up the map in the original, I think it's only fair that we add points because the well was not boarded up in the original. Okay. Okay. But let me ask you a question. <laughs> what? Can you, so the well in the original one, it looks like one of the many holes in that game that you can fall down or jump down or whatever. Can you interact with this well? Its design no, it's clearly like, invites you to interact with no, it. No, it's, it looks different from the other holes in the game that you can go into. You got to give those points back. It's I'm only not fair. convinced, but I want this game to have more points. So I accept only on that basis and not because I think you're right. <laughs> okay. 73. So that's the final score? That's the final score. Okay. A 73. I'm glad that this was corrected for the record. Feels bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next time when Michelle will go galloping across a vast <laughs> field and see some beautiful creatures and nothing bad will happen <laughs> at all as she continues her quest to become a gamer. <laughs>